We're going to continue on in our sermon series today. Uh, it's a sermon series we're calling We Believe, and it's a sermon series where we're walking through uh, the various sections of the Apostles' Creed, and the Apostles' Creed being such a foundational uh, uh, declaration of our belief. It's uh, been around in some form since the second century, and the earliest of Christians had held to, to, to these beliefs. We know from oral history and all of that that uh, that's where we get this, this is where it comes from. And, it, and it's been something that has sustained throughout the history of the church for 2,000 years. Uh, but I think, you know, we get away from these foundational beliefs. We give, get away from the basics often. We get distracted by everything going on around us. We get distracted by what's going on in the church. Uh, and we, we lose sight of what really is important. Um, and what really is important is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, uh, revealed fully in and through Jesus Christ. And we gather together, uh, whenever we gather, we declare our belief in God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we're going to dig more into the Apostles' Creed today, but I'd like to read a passage. Uh, this is from the Gospel of John. I'm going to read from his first chapter. Um, we, we've dug into John before. We've dug into John 1 before, uh, but we're going to approach it from maybe a little bit different uh, vantage point today. But hear these words. I'll, I'll read verses 1 through 5, and then we'll hit verse 14 as well. But here's how John begins his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And this Word, the Word, became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Will you pray with me? Holy God, we praise you for this gift, this opportunity to gather together. And we praise you for the gift of your scriptures. I pray that you would speak to us in and through them this day, that we would know you and love you more, that we would be transformed, all in Jesus' holy name. Amen and amen. So last week, those, those who maybe weren't here, last week we continued on in, in, our, in our sermon series, We Believe, where we're talking about the, the actual content of our belief and the, the implications for us as we try to follow Jesus in our day-to-day -day lives, as we, as we try to navigate this world around us. And to do this, we're, we're using the Apostles' Creed. And, and we talked about it as a, as a road map. You know, the Apostles' Creed is not the thing. It's not the destination. It's a road map that points us in the right direction. And so we started off last week with the, the first clause of the Creed, which points to God as the loving Father who created everything there is. And looking at Genesis, we saw that everything that is, everything that was created, was created good. In fact, after God created humanity... He said that all that he, had, he created was very good. We look at the first chapter of Genesis, 
You know, I, I think about, you know, judging by what it says of, of the created world, you know, I think we might be tempted to think that the world should look like that, that room from uh, Charlie and the Choc- Chocolate Fra- Factory, that first room they walk into, you know, after they go into the hallway where it just keeps getting narrower and narrower, they walk through the door and it opens up in the, into this beautiful, spacious room where everything is made out of edible candy and, and you know, the chocolate river is flowing, babbling by. I read Genesis 1 and I think the world should be just like that. You know, we're all just happy, walking around, eating candy all the time, and just singing happy songs. But I'd venture a guess that that's not how a single one of us experiences life, at least not fully. You know, we have stress, we have catastrophic failures in our lives. We have sufferings, we have personal struggles, we see terrible things happening all around us in the world, and we think, hold on a sec, Some, something is not right here, right? Something must have gone terribly wrong. You know, we can envision a world that's better than what we see right now. So that, that just brings to mind, you know, there's something wrong, there's something going on. Well, we read ahead a couple of chapters in, in Genesis. We get through the first creation narrative in chapter 1. We get through the second creation narrative in chapter 2. And we get to chapter 3. Things begin to fall apart in this very good world that God has created. You know, the story of Adam and Eve is really the story of rebellion against God. And of how suffering, sin, and death entered into creation it's, it's a story about disobedience. And it's a disobedience and a rebellion that has continued ever since. Adam and Eve are, are the archetype of all human beings. You know, we can see ourselves in Adam and Eve. You know, the world is broken. Humans are broken. And the situation just sometimes feels hopeless. Hopeless to the point where we, we, we just want to cry out to God and we, we want to ask Him not to leave us alone. We want to cry out to God to, to rend the heavens, tear open the heavens and come down, speak to us. The Old Testament's filled with stories of God's people trying to find Him in the midst of all the junk of life, in the midst of the mess. We've talked about Job, you know, how Job lost everything that he knew and loved. It had all been taken from him. And at one point he cried out to God that if only you had written a book, you know, if only God had spoken and revealed himself to Job, Job would better be able to understand why those terrible things were happening to him. And we've also talked about the the book of Isaiah, right? If only you would rend the heavens, tear open the heavens and come down to make your name known. Uh, Ludwig Wittgenstein, this is an awesome name, this is a nice German name, um, he was an early 20th century philosopher. He wrote this, and we've got it. The solution to the riddle of life in space and time lies outside of space and time. You think the, the solution to the riddle of life in space and time lies outside of space and time. What he's saying is that, you know, if, if God is the creator God, 
the God of all that is, God would have existed before anything ever came into being, and that's how we understand God's creation. God created out of nothing. And, and therefore, he would be outside of space and time. That space and time were his creation. But to be able to know this God, right, the great riddle, the great mystery of life, this God would have to be revealed in space and time in order to be believed. This God would have to show himself to us. This God would have to speak to us. And so that's what, exactly what God did. God revealed himself in space and time on this very earth nearly 2,000 years ago. God spoke to us by his word, by taking on human flesh, just like ours, in and through Jesus Christ. You know, the, the gospel of John makes this clear, and, and John is a unique gospel. It's different from the other three gospels. The other three gospels are primarily concerned, or, or at least they focus or emphasize Jesus' humanity. You know, they maintain his divinity, but they emphasize his humanity. And you read uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and, and they read almost like a biography, right? A historical biography following the life of Jesus, emphasizing his humanity. Well, John, he's, he's different. John is balancing things out. And he's doing that by stressing his divinity. But he does so in a way that maintains Jesus' humanity. So John, he starts in this very first verse. And, it, you know, you can tell where John's going with this from the very first few verses of his gospel. He's wanting to emphasize something very, very important about this, this God-man Jesus. So he starts in the very first verse by stating that, stating when, where, and who this word was. You know, borrowing language from, from Genesis, John states that in the beginning, in the beginning, was the Word. You know, the story of Jesus didn't just start with a virgin birth in, in first century Palestine. And he says that the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The one was in the beginning with God. John, he's teaching us that the, the divine revealer, revealer who, who is the subject of the remainder of the gospel is the eternal word of God and who has always been in fellowship with God. John's making the case that we are not just meeting a, a, a great man when we encounter Jesus in the gospel, though he was that. We are also in meeting God himself in a very real human being. John states that this, this, this word became flesh and blood and dwelt among us. We've talked about the, the message version which says, you know, God, the, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood, Right? As we think about the creed, you know, we talked about I believe, the first part of the creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Then there's the next part, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, 
who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. There's some incredible things that we're declaring when we say that. Some, some huge declarations of belief that we're making when we recite the Apostles' Creed. But the Creed, it points us directly to the right place in knowing who it is that God reveals himself to be. The Creed makes clear that Jesus is our, our Lord, which is a word that can get lost on us because we don't live, live in a feudal system, we don't have monarchs, but Jesus is our Lord, fully divine. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. But also that Jesus was fully human. Fully human. And the creed purposely points to some of the particularities of, of his life on earth to make that point. Right? He was born of a virgin woman named Mary. He suffered under the historically verifiable governor of the region, Pontius Pilate. And he was crucified. He died and he was buried. All of Jesus' life is, is rooted in these particular experiences, in a particular place, in a particular time in human history. You know, all of this is spelled out in Scripture. But, uh, you know, I, I've shared this before, but I think all this particularity, I think, is, is an affront to us. Right? When we talk about God, we think of this big, big, huge unexplainable God who lives somewhere out there. But we often wish God would speak to us. You know, how, how many of us have, have just wished God would speak to us to make himself known in, in an undeniable way? Right? How many of us haven't said, God, I just wish God, I wish you would just speak to me, say something to me so I would know, so I would hear you. I, if I could hear you in an audible voice, then I would know. But then on the other hand, I think we also, if we're being honest, sometimes we would prefer that God would stay out there. You know, out there somewhere. A God we can keep at arm's length, call on when we need Him, but keep Him at arm's length. You know, a God who would just let us be who we want and do what we want. But that's not who God revealed himself to be in and through Jesus. And, and because of that, it's a little embarrassing. It's a little embarrassing. I mean, Jesus was this no-name Jewish carpenter's son in, in this tiny town in the middle of nowhere in Palestine. And, and while he was on this earth, he walked amongst us, eating, drinking, breaking wind, right? Fully human, right? doing all the things that we do. He was then tried as a common criminal. He was beaten, he was tortured, and he was hung on a Roman cross where he died. Jesus died. God died. We say, this is God. But made known in that three days later, Jesus raised from the dead. And we know this because he, he appeared to the disciples and to others. 
many, many others. And we believe that He will come again and come again to judge the living and the dead in His final judgment. This is astounding. You know, you, you couldn't make this up. But this is who God has revealed Himself to be. So, so what does all that mean for us here today? Well, in short, I mean, it means everything. Let's be honest. It means everything. The moment in which God became flesh and moved into our neighborhood is the moment around which all of human history revolves. It's the turning point. Because God became human not to show us some, some neat trick, but to bring salvation and redemption to you, to me, and to all of creation. The brokenness we read about in, in Genesis 3 brought back together. The division humanity creates between us and God brought back together, reconciled. All of the failure, all of the suffering, all of the sin, all of the death, all of the brokenness was never meant to be. So God came to this earth in the person of Jesus to restore everything to the way it was intended. We came from Eden, we're going back to Eden. I think about us in our, our personal lives. You think about somebody who, who's struggling, who's sick, or maybe came, came with a disease, or, or we've heard people talk about, you know, oh, man, I saw them. They're, they're just a shadow of who they used to be. We've seen that. We've said that about people. We, maybe, maybe it's been said about us. I think about the, what the creed points us to, what Scripture points us to, the Christ revealed in and through them. We, sh we should be saying, you know, we are just a shadow of who we will be. It's a shadow of who we will be. God set in motion a plan to bring everything back into union with himself. And in John's gospel, he states that when what had been made was in union with the Creator, when what had been made was, was in union with the Creator, reconciled back to God, there was life. Life. You know, I see in this verse John's first invitation to us. He's saying, you know, come into union with the Word who made you, and you will come to life. You came from him, please come back to him. You were made for him. And the result of this union will be more than mere human existence. It will be human life, real life. And even more than that, John says that this life will be the light of the human race. That once we are in union with God through simple faith, through simple trust, through simple belief, we are given a mission to be the light to the rest of the world. It's a mission of, of salvation. You know, if you talk about mission, we are all missionaries. Every single one of us. We're all missionaries in this world. And it's a mission of salvation to the world. We are to be witnesses to this salvation. God came in the person of Jesus not to condemn the world, but to save it. 
and everyone in it. Last week, we talked about Gnosticism and how Gnostics see matter as evil. You know, created things can't be good, and, and so the only good things are spiritual things. We create this split between spiritual and material, and material's bad, spiritual's good. We talked about how this way of viewing things has infected the church. I mean, Christians, we often hear talk about their faith as it's purely spiritual, right? So we can come to church and do all the spiritual things, go back to our lives and live however we want, do whatever we want, say whatever we want, because that's, that's spiritual. You know, I, I believe You know, we talk about going to church because it's spiritual, makes us feel good inside. And we often talk about salvation in this way, that salvation is purely spiritual. We often hear folks talking about salvation as as a way to escape this evil world. That salvation is all about getting your ticket to heaven when you die, so you can just sit up on a cloud in heaven playing a harp with the angels which sounds kind of boring to me. I'm, I'll be honest, I always heard that. It just sounds kind of boring. I think it's more than that. That's a very Gnostic view of life and salvation. There's an analogy or a metaphor that I, I heard once talking about this. You know, we, we declare our belief in God. You know, we start off on that point. It's like standing on the bank of a river. We're on this side of the river, On the other side of the river lies eternal glory in the presence of God. And and many people in this kind of Gnostic view in the church, we think, well, we'll just stand here, we'll wait. We'll just wait until somebody comes and whisks us off to the other side of the river. But we never stop and ask the question, is there a bridge? Is there a bridge across the river? A bridge that we might call human existence that we get from this place of belief. We cross the river to eternal glory in the presence of God via this human life in these human bodies empowered and enabled by the Holy Spirit walked, walking with, guided by, led by the Holy Spirit with Jesus with us every step of the way. The continued presence of Jesus in the Holy Spirit. The Orthodox priest, Alexander Schmemann, another awesome name, great, all these great names. He says this, salvation can never be an escape, a withdrawal from the, from the wicked world. And he says this, Christ saves us by restoring our humanity, which inescapably makes us part of creation. Jesus is the Savior of the world, not from the world. Hear that? Christ saves us by restoring our humanity. Salvation doesn't entail escaping the world, escaping these bodies. Salvation entails God restoring all things. Even this flesh and blood stuff, even the created world around us, that we will become more human, more of who God created us to be. To understand this changes everything, everything. You know, this is, this is part of the bridge across the river. 
Our lives here on earth, our lives lived in the hope of the future restoration of all creation, including humanity. And it's a restoration begun through the life, death, and resurrection of this no-name Jew some 2,000 years ago. But this no-name Jew was God incarnate. God in the flesh. The Savior of the whole world who became like us so we could become like Him. And He came purely out of self-giving love. A couple of chapters later in John's Gospel, he says this. You'll probably be familiar with it. But I, I, I pray you would hear it with new ears. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, so whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. I think this is where the rubber meets the road for us. For us in our world today, following Jesus, what should our response be to the dissension, to the hate, to the violence, to the brokenness we see all around us? What should our response be as followers of Jesus? Well, I think, one, this world matters. The things of this world matter. People, the people in this world matter. Even our enemies, they matter. It matters what we believe, and it matters how we act on that belief, probably even more so. The cultural and political discourses of this world matter because they have an effect on everyone in this world. And we should be a part of that discourse because we have a, a message to bring. We have good news to breathe into the discourse in our culture, in our world, in, the, in, in politics, in all of it. We have such good news. But here's the, here's the rub. The way of Jesus is not to join in on the hate, the dissension, the violence in order to communicate our message which has been the pattern of, of some Christians throughout our history in the church. We can point to all manner of, of evil things people have done in the name of Christ. But rather, the way of Jesus is, is found in, in what we declare in the creed, in what Scripture reveals of Jesus. The way of Jesus is self-giving love even to the point of death. This is where the rubber meets the road for us. And the Apostles' Creed, it helps point us to the God revealed in Christ through Scripture. The God who loves the world that He has created. He created it out of love. He loves the world He created, and that includes you. It includes me. God loves you. And this God revealed in and through the Word made flesh is reaching out to all of us. He's reaching out to His creation. He wants a relationship with, with us, with you, with me, to be in union with us. He wants to give us life, real life, and to make us the light for the sake of all of humanity in the world. And the first step 
Say, I believe, I believe, I trust. It's my prayer in this day that you would continually see the glory of the Word made flesh. The God revealed in and through Jesus Christ, revealed through Scripture, revealed through the Apostles' Creed. You continually see the glory of the Word made flesh all around you, at work, in your life, in the lives of those around you. And that you would know the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. Amen.
in our life. So we 